Welcome to Tea with Culture. I'm Hinma Zena, and in this episode, I'm in conversation with Yanis Sturtz, co-founder of Jakarta Records and Habibi Funk record labels. Habibi Funk focuses on re-releasing old music from the Arab world, with a particular focus on funk, jazz, and obscure music from the 1970s and 80s, of which a significant collection is showcased at an exhibition titled Habibi Funk at East Wing Gallery in Dubai. The exhibition includes photos, text, video recordings, album covers, and a vinyl record listening station. I met Yanis at East Wing during the setup of the exhibition to talk about the record label and the exhibition and its relevance, with a little musical addition at the end of our discussion. Hello, Yanis. Hi. So let's start from the very beginning. Tell us about, I mean, I know you were running one record label called Jakarta Records, and now there's also Habibi Funk, which is what we're here to talk about. So can you tell me maybe the transition or how the two are together? Yeah, I mean, there was never really a transition. Both still exist. Um, at some point, um, I had been running Jakarta, f- I think we s- I started with a school friend, like maybe 13, 14 years ago. First couple of years, it was a hobby. We lost money. Um, we did it while studying. And then eventually, it grew to an extent that we could kind of make a living off of it um, when I graduated uni. So at some point, we had an artist on the label uh, called Blitz the Ambassador, like a Ghanaian uh, musician. And he played a festival in Morocco called Mawazin. I stayed a couple of days extra. We went back half a year later for a TV show. Um, and around the time I also worked briefly as a project manager for an NGO in Tunisia Um, and uh, on all of these trips I started looking for records Um, and then at some point I I put together some mixes, put them on SoundCloud, shared it with people, and I realized there's a lot of interest in in these specific sounds that I was interested in, and uh, I realized there's this disparity that, on the one hand, people want to hear it, and uh, on the other hand, it's not really available unless you go spend a lot of time looking for records and so forth. Um, so as I was already running a label, and I kind of knew how the label aspect of things work. Um, the idea of starting starting a label came a little more natural, I guess. Um, so we started looking for, for the old musicians of material we liked, or in some cases the families, if the musicians had passed. Um, and yeah, that, that was kind of the kick-off, kick-off uh, moment for, for starting Habibi Funk as a label dedicated to re-releasing old Arabic music. And how, how many years ago, so how long has this been running? I think the first Habibi Funk release came out maybe three years ago or something like that. It's not, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not that old for, for a label, but it kind of grew very quickly um, to, to our surprise. We, we, we kind of uh, expected it to be much more niche. I mean, it's still very niche, but we expected it to be more niche than it is. And with that l- label, you obviously have collated now a part, you know, a collection of records and images, and uh, which now is leading to an exhibition we're going to see at uh, East Wing. And so, can you tell me about that? And where do you store all of this? And are you, I don't know, creating a Yanis Habibi Foundation or an archive center? Because <laughs> it feels like part of it feels like it's a responsibility because you're collecting work that has historical value and uh, and I think also an educational value so what what started off yeah like you're sharing music now I think is becoming a, a, a richer uh, endeavor hmm. 
Um, I mean, for us, it was always when when we started re-releasing this music. I think from the get-go, we wanted to contextualize it. So um, we always have booklets that feature interviews with the artist, liner notes. Uh, like for example, the release was Ahmed Malik. All of the music was done for Algerian cinema. So we had someone write an introduction to Algerian cinema of the 1970s. Um, so all of this was always kind of important for us. Um, so eventually um, we started collecting material quite early, um, mainly for, for creating these booklets, but I always kind of in the back of my mind had the idea of an exhibition. Um, and I think if I, like I would have not necessarily done this at this point yet, but then uh, when East Wing reached out, I figured yeah, it's a good opportunity to kick it off. But yeah, for for, for us, it's like a, a like kind of a, a logical continuation of what we're doing with the label, anyhow. Kind of telling the same stories, just bringing them in a different space and into a different format. And how has been the response from the families or the musicians, if they're still alive, when you know you've been traveling across? Has it been mostly around North Africa or also the Levant region? Um, we also have one release from Lebanon coming. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, it's... Yeah, it's mostly North Africa. Lebanon has a lot, so I think there will be coming more. Um, Jordan, I was there twice. I never found anything that kind of was interesting for whatever we are looking for. Syria, I think, is interesting. Uh, once the situation calms down a bit more, I think I want to go and see what, what I can find. Uh, but, so it's not like a, it's not really a, 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 a very conscious decision that um, a majority of the releases so far came from, from North Africa. Uh, it just happened to happen. And so what has, I'm curious to know about the response, you know, uh, Yanis flying in, you know, from Europe, exploring, almost like excavating, right? <laughs> like a musical excavation. And what has been the response from the families or the musicians that they're still around to seeing the interest and in you saying that you're going to re-release these tracks and expose it to a wider audience? How, 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 yeah, I'm interested to know if there are any anecdotes or like an overall consensus on how people have responded to this. Um, we kind of always... Positively. I mean, I know it from other regions um, where it's sometimes a bit harder. Um, and um, for, for various reasons. So, for example, in West Africa, I think that there was a lot of people who came through doing issues with very shady business approaches. So I think people there are a bit more cautious. Um, and that m might very well be true for other regions of the world as well. Um, and whenever we do it, um, it, it, um, it was always very much appreciated. Um, I think what helps is that we kind of have local uh, teams. So whenever I go out, I usually am with someone from, from the city. Um, so we have one colleague working for us in Casablanca. We have a colleague in Cairo. We have two people working for us in Sudan. Um, so I think that makes a difference as well. But, you know, in general, everyone is always very excited. Um, and, I mean, even excited to the extent how you can see if someone... for Like, for us, it's very crucial that 
the way we s we set up these reissues kind of consciously keeps in mind the uh, at least troubled history of economic interactions between North and South. So we're trying to make sure that all our deals are kind of not creating any doubts in, in with regards to fairness. Um, we always, when it comes to like the communication, we're trying to to shy away from 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 visual um, um, stereotypes. Um, we try like the whole exhibition is bilingual, and I I'm aware that in Dubai this is not necessary because everyone speaks English. But I think it's more about a symbolic approach as well, um, and. When you and I have, I've, I've realized that the, the excitement of a lot of these artists is that big that I can see how a lot of people have gotten ripped off in the history because I realize that there's a mixture of, on the one hand, excitement and on the other hand, full on inexperience when it comes to de signing deals. Um, so yeah, you, it's very, it's very cool because the people are always happy, but you all also experience how how these type of exchanges are very endangered to become not ideal um, if the business partner making the approach is morally more flexible than, than we are. So, yeah. and, and since, and with the business side of things and re-releasing a lot of these tracks, um, obviously there's a way where these musicians now are getting their cut of the deal right and and uh, and with these releases like I know you, I think you do physical like vinyl releases you release them online as well and and I've always been wondering where's the role of kind of like a central I don't know I mean maybe the Arab region is it, it's too generic like how are these archived from an institutional level because I feel a lot of these bands and musicians have been forgotten and because it's a personal interest from someone like you that it's being revived and and I'm curious to know if you've had any discussions with institutions in the local cities where the, you know there is an effort to preserve this music or you know have a, a record of or, or library of this music no I think we kind of fly under the radar for a lot of these institutions if we would go to Sudan and do a release to try to re-release Mohamed Wardi um, or go to Egypt and try to do something about Unkatsum I think these type of institutions would pay more attention but as we are talking about very nee uh, not all of it but the majority of the stuff we do is more like niche um, it flies under the radar, which I, I don't even think it would be. That's not a, a problem that is specific to the Arab world. If I would do the same work in Germany and I would do research on very obscure crowd rock bands, also the museums in Germany or the, the archival institutions would most likely not reach out to me because it's too obscure for them. Um, so... I, I, yeah, I, I, it's not really happening at this point, and w I mean, we're trying to do it ourselves, um, but I also understand why for a lot of these institutions, a lot of the material we work with might be too obscure for them to see a, a general relevance for what they're doing. It just feels, I, again, I think to me, it's like uh, the forgotten history or a history that misses out a certain narrative, you know, about the region where and, and who, you know, and how history is being told and retold and, and, and what gets shared and not shared. And so 
to me, it's great to have this kind of exhibition that showcases a lot of work you've collected and, and put together. And, uh, and uh, do you foresee something like this, like becoming a traveling exhibition? Or are you waiting to see how people respond to this exhibition and what opportunities come out of it? No, I think it was too much effort to make that a one-off. Um, no, we have some inter we're trying to do something in Nigeria towards the end of the year, just dedicated to Ahmed Malik because it's the 10th anniversary of his passing. Um, no, we, we want to bring it to other places, and I think East Wing is also very interested in helping with that. And for me personally, it's also, I mean, obviously due to the to to certain costs associated with doing something like this, it'll always be easier to bring it to London or Paris. But for me, it's kind of important to also bring it to the region as much as possible because this is where it should be primarily seen. Um, but yeah, I think a mix of both will do. Uh, ideally, I guess we end up in a scenario where maybe we can save some money from, from bringing it to Paris or London and use some of that money to bring it to Cairo and uh, Tunis. And so from the materials I've been able to see so far, I'm waiting to see the entire exhibition, is uh, there's been, it's mostly kind of male singers or bands with male members. Have there been, you know, discoveries where there were female singers or, f you know, bands featuring uh, females? I mean, I think we as a label are kind of, I mean, even on Jakarta, we don't reach a 50-50 quota, but given we are a hip-hop label, I don't think there's another label that had that many rappers for example that were female um or maybe there is but it's i mean not not that i can think of right away i mean we, we have these shirts that we are always doing that has like in arab it says the future is female and we donate the money to like feminist ngos in the region um but when it comes to the work we're doing with habibi funk i mean it's it's not we don't have the opportunity to actively change anything about it because we are reflecting the, 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 the musical scene of like 30, 40 years ago. So there is little bits and pieces, let's say, for example, Shahabil, the, the, the Sudanese artist, uh, which you can also see on this wallpaper. His wife was the first electronic guitar player and first professional musician in Sudan. Atereza um, Dadabia had three, three females doing, doing backing vocals, and it was a family band, so they were the grandchildren. Um, but yeah, it's it's more punctual, and I think, and it is only a theory of mine. If you look at more popular culture, there there is a lot of very famous female singers, and the imbalance is not as strong as for the music we are into. But I think that the type of music we are into was already had that stigma of being Western, being modern being happening in nightclubs. I think there was a territory that was even harder for a female artists to go into and be respected for her art. I think if you went to, like, if you did very classic compositions, very romantic songs, that was more socially acceptable than if you were a female trying to do rock and roll music in Morocco in the 1970s. Um, and I'm not sure whether this... And obviously, we're talking about a vast region, so I'm always trying to shy away from generalizing statements like this, because let's say in, in Sudan, you had, for example, Al-Balabil, who, who kind of did music that is interesting in our context, um, and it was Three Sisters. And uh, also, 
Almazrin, for example, who's also in our exhibition, even though the guy behind it wa was a man, Hani Shinoda, they always had female singers, so all of the vocals have female leads. But for example, he also told me that story that he had three singers over the course of six, six years because he said whenever they got married, her husbands forbid them to still be in the band. Um, so yeah, I think um, I, I'm aware that we are having a very heavy imbalance there, but like I said, we are kind of just reflecting the status quo of back then. Um, so it's something that I'm thinking about, but uh, yeah. Well, I look forward to the Habibi Funk female-only version of an exhibition, hopefully in the near future. <laughs> yeah, we were kind of semi-trying to do like a compilation in that direction for Sudan, but let's see whether it's it's early it's early uh, conceptual stage stages plus we we at this point we i think we already have 10 more albums already signed and paid and contracted so i kind of have to also focus on actually putting those out because it's in comparison to doing like a contemporary hip-hop release on jakarta habibi funk releases much much more work because all of the like research writing and yeah, it's just very time intense to put out a release like this. And so, so do you have like a big team working with you? And how, how what's your day-to-day -day kind of process and running the business? <laughs> um, I mean, I, I run both Jakarta and Habibi Fang with Malte, who's like a school friend of mine. I'm a bit more focused on the Habibi Funk end of things. He runs another sub-label under Jakarta umbrella called Asmara, which is a bit more indie pop, which I know nothing about. So this is his thing. Um, and then, yeah, like I already mentioned, like we, we have people working for us in the region, um, which A, makes sense by, context, uh, by content, but I think it also makes sense to have people from the region in your team to kind of point you towards potential issues. And like I think... They are closer to the culture than, than I ever will be. Um, no, so we have Sabrina. She works. She's a, a copyright lawyer, and she works. Uh, she does all of our stuff in Morocco these days. Malik works in, in Cairo, um, and then we have uh, Larissa and Yassir. They they are both in uh, Khartoum. Um, and yeah, they they even do a lot of stuff when I'm not there. Like uh, Sabrina, kind of. Project management, pro project managed like an upcoming Moroccan release, kind of on our own. Um, so yeah, no, um, uh, I think without these people, it would be much much harder um, to do what I do. And can you tell me about your experience in the Gulf? What have you been able to discover? Is it a starting point? What What are the challenges? Because I think to me, one of the biggest gap is is kind of like the pop culture aspect of, of music in the Gulf region. There's, uh, the little of it is something we're aware of, but I, I always feel there's more that we don't know. Me personally, I haven't found much here, I have to admit. Also because there was not a vinyl culture that preserved certain recordings. There was a tape culture more so, uh, but most of the tape shops are gone because the, the, mm, these this region has been modernized m way more quickly, so a lot of these traces of music vanished more quickly than, let's say, in Cairo. Um, I know Kuwait has is a bit different culturally. I think, like for example, there was a very vital connection between Sudanese musicians and Kuwait. A lot of the Sudanese musicians went to Kuwait to play, record, and um, usually they had like half a year booking for, for to play in a, in a certain club. There's always little bits and pieces. For example, there's a very obscure cassette tape. I, uh, a friend of mine has 
that was done for some sort of an exhibition uh, representing Saudi Arabia, and it actually has a funk track on it, which where I was super surprised from the late 70s. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, so far, um, and like I said, I mean, I can't stress the fact enough that whatever I'm looking for is a very, very specific niche. So when I say there is nothing for me or I haven't found anything, that's not a general statement about the quality of music um, or about the general availability of great musicians. It's just that I haven't found anything that has this, this certain thing we are looking for, which uh, even though the name Habibi Funk r suggests it's about funk music, it, that it's not really it. It's, it's, we are looking for stuff where there's a combination of influences. And that can be electronic synthesizer sounds mixed with Arab influences. That can be on the compilation we had an Algerian Coladera track. Coladera being the mu traditional music from Guadeloupe. And this Algerian musician met some, some uh, musicians from Guadeloupe while he was staying in Paris. Um, so kind of this type of exchange from local influences with uh, influences coming from outside of the region is what we are looking for. So this particular kind of mixture we have yet to come across for, for stuff from the region. Again, that might n that doesn't mean it's not there, it just means I haven't heard it yet. Um, yeah. And are there any initiatives that you're involved in which, you know, involved on the ground, you know, whether it's running workshops or um, I don't know, like uh, working with musicians or even young musicians in, in, in these cities where you have team members working or that you visit. I'm curious to know, like, is there any kind of like an educational aspect, whether it's like from a making music or yeah, mixing or, you know, preserving? Yeah, I mean, at this point, no, because I'm also not very well aware usually of the contemporary music scenes. I mean, I know a little bit and I have friends in the regional musicians, but it's always like random stuff, like... Because our focus is old material, um, we are usually working in a different scene. I mean, I get asked for doing workshops here and there. Like I did a workshop in Berlin um, last winter for Syrian musicians about how to get their foot into the German music market and stuff like that. But um, that is not really our focus. Just but surely due to the fact that we are more focused on old music and not contemporary music, um, which also might change at some point. I can also see us doing contemporary releases at some point, but I think right now it's still about like, like strengthening our current profile, which is re-releasing music. But there's, there's also current musical scenes I really like. Uh, for example, I like, uh, I like um, Zenek, uh, the, the Zenek style from Sudan, which is like Sudanese young people music with a bit like Electro Shabi. Uh, or like the Sudanese equivalent of it. Um, yeah. All right. So if we have to pick one song to end uh, this episode, what song would you pick and why? Um, why? Because I had a <laughs> download coupon I just gave you. Uh, I guess Al Madrid. Uh, there's a song called Sa. I think it's the third song or something. You'll, you, you'll see it when you download the album. Um, it's like a yeah, incredible uh, Egyptian disco track. Basically, the band is the band of a producer called Hani Shinoda, and he, um, he was the band leader for Abdel Halim Hafez shortly before he passed. He produced the first two albums of Mohamed Munir. So he was kind of big, but uh, like, and this band that we did the reissue of was kind of his baby, where he, it was less successful than the aforementioned, but it was kind of where he tried out whatever he always wanted to try out. So in the early, late 70s, early 80s, he played around with like drum computers, 
synthesizers. There's a track where he uses vocoder and like a lot of stuff that had not been done in Egyptian or maybe even Arabic popular music at this point. And yeah, uh, a real innovator. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely a, a well-known name, worked with mainstream acts, and so it's yeah. interesting to now, for me at least, to discover that, and hopefully other listeners who will, that he had this kind of like side, you know, experimenting, and it's fantastic yeah. to hear and know that about him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, he, yeah. and he's a very cool guy. He, uh, he's still around. He lives in uh, Gizeh, close to the pyramids. Um, um, and he has like a studio, like a, a, an apartment with two doors, where like one is a still his studio, one is where he lives, and yeah, really, really, really uh, interesting guy to hang out with because obviously he was so. I mean, he did stuff that is really interesting for us, but he also did the big pop stuff. So he was, he was like one of the key figures. So he had, had a certain point in time. So he has a lot of stories to tell. Wood, 
صح وألف صح عرفت أحلم وغني بعد ما كنت قبلك مشتاق لحاجة صح أمنت يا حب إني من أول يوم قابلتك والعمر ماشي صح to my interview with Yanis Sturtz of Habibi Funk and the song Sah by El Masriyin, an Egyptian band founded by Hani Shinoda in the 1970s. You can buy this song and more music from the record label by visiting habibifunkrecords.bandcamp.com. And to know more about the Habibi Funk exhibition, visit east-wing.org. Thanks again for tuning in, and for more conversations about art and culture, please follow and subscribe to Tea with Culture on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram. Till next time.